And so that was, at that point, that was the only kind of awareness I had was until I feel better about my self-esteem, I can't be a good partner to somebody else because I'm going to want to keep them to myself. And that's kind of not what Polly's about. So it's not really until 10 years later that I really realized the abandonment of myself and my identity in that dynamic, right? It wasn't until after I had discovered what is authentic me that I realized that I had sacrificed that. And that was a big part of uh, kind of choosing solo poly in relationship anarchy was realizing I, I need to be committed to myself and, and have that independent identity separate from my relationships to, to be good to myself. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 231. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an amazing conversation with Anna. They are the president of Atlanta Polyamory and also the owner of Love Positive Counseling. We have a really beautiful conversation with them. Yeah, it's fantastic. They've been exploring polyamory for about... 12 to 15 years. Oh, quite a long, long but, time. And before that, it was sort of a serial monogamy and a lot of codependencies. And they break down, they really like walk through all of this work that they've done and how they've done it and how it then led to like control. And I don't know, it's just, it's such a fantastic conversation and we're really excited. And yeah, definitely check out uh, the show notes at normalizingnonmonogamy.com for links to all of the work that Anna does at both Love Positive Counseling and Atlanta Polyamory. And a quick heads up, you will notice some birds in the background on this episode. But yeah, we inserted those. Enjoy the ambiance. We, we did that because it was peaceful. <laughs> we start doing our interviews with a white noise generator in the background. <laughs> Don't sound so serious. People might actually take it like that's the truth. That's what sarcasm is all about. <laughs> anyway... Uh, before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of quick announcements. First up, a huge thank you to our Patreon community. We're so appreciative of each one of you. If you're out there and looking for like-minded people, we'd encourage you to check it out. We have monthly Q&As, men's groups, women's groups, and an ongoing Mimi chat. So it's an, a wonderful, amazing group of people. You can check it out. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. And we do have some events that are not part of the Patreon community. Those we've got coming up in the end of April here. April 22nd, we have a virtual trivia night. We did one of these a couple months ago and it was super awesome so we're bringing that back and then the next night on april 23rd that's a saturday we're doing one of our virtual meet and greets so check those out again head over to the website normalizingnonmonogamy.com click on the community events tab and you'll find all of the information there to sign up for both of these events yes we also have an in-person event coming up not till September, but we're wanting to get it on your calendars way ahead of time. So the weekend of September 17th, we will be in New Orleans. We have a pool party going on and a uh, high ropes course. More information is available under our website. 
You, we already did it. We don't have to do it again. Right. I think they know it. I think that's it. Well, we'll they just... could just click on the show notes link. And in, go find it. In the podcast player. Yes. And while you're on our website, you can reach out to us. You can send us a voicemail. You can send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And we were actually just kind of reflecting that like over the last seven or eight episodes, most of our guests have either been an author or a podcaster or some type of a content creator. And we just wanted to make it clear that like you don't have to be anything other than an awesome human who is like thinking about exploring non-monogamy, exploring it. Maybe you explored it and you were like, that was crazy. We're not doing that again. <laughs> just it doesn't, you don't have to be anyone special other than your special self. <laughs> As I started to say that sound, I was like, well, that makes it sound like no one's special. <laughs> but I, did I fix it? Uh, I think so. I think I recovered well. <laughs> My point is, you're all beautiful and special, <laughs> and we would love to have you on the show to share your story. Yes, you're welcome to come on and share your journey. Because these other people who are podcasters and authors, they're just regular people too. Yes. As much true. as we don't seem regular, <laughs> we're, we're falling off. We're the highly horse here, irregular like, most days. Yeah. All right. Enough of my rambling. <laughs> Anything else, Emma? I think that's it. Uh, again, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Find all the things there. And I have one more thing. Go ahead. We we often talk about different ways to support the show. One one way that we actually haven't talked about in a little while, actually a long while. Really, one of the best ways to support the show is to tell people about it or leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use. It just helps people learn about us, find us, and spreads the word because the more people who find us and listen to us, the more people who are interested in non-monogamy, and then your pool gets bigger too. Yep. So everybody's pool gets bigger if you tell more people. Spread the word. And it's free. You don't have to. <laughs> You don't have to do anything other than tell people. Okay, right, enough, I think that's it. I'm done. Let's go talk to Anna. Let's go. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you here. Thank you very much for taking the time to be here today. You're very welcome. We'd love to start off by just giving you introduce yourself in whatever way you are comfortable doing so. All right. Um, I'm Anna Boxer, and I am owner and director at Love Positive Counseling and president of Atlanta Polyamory, a 501c3 nonprofit organization um, focused in Atlanta, but a lot of our events are on Zoom right now. So we've got people calling from all over the U.S., a couple from Canada, and just last week we had somebody from Germany interested. So wow. we've become an international organization all of a sudden. Um, thanks, <laughs> COVID. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> didn't plan for that, but it happened. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Mainly who I am. Yeah. yeah. And it's awesome. We, when we were in Atlanta back in October, I know we didn't get the chance to meet, meet you, but we did have a handful of people from Atlanta Poly come out and join us at the, uh, at the brewery. And so that was super awesome. So thank you for yeah. helping us spread the word there. And yeah, it's super exciting that, that your community is, is going international as well. That's, that's so awesome that people are finding, community all over the world. Uh, yes. Yeah. To, to dig into maybe your, your story a bit more, do you mind maybe sharing what sort of non-monogamy looks like for you today? And then maybe can we go back in time and talk about like, how did you first hear about it, get started in it? What got you interested? Yeah. So my journey is a long one. I've been uh, specifically polyamorous for I think it's got to be like 15 years at this point. 
Um, I always lose track and I have to do the math again. <laughs> Currently, I have just one partner. And as of last week, we are now nesting, which is super weird. I never thought I would do that. Um, bought a house, now nesting with my partner and his kids. And um, hoping to have energy for more partners soon. Because this like looking monogamous thing is weird for me. Um <laughs> <laughs> like how the nesting nesting partner looking yeah, yeah. right uh, we're, right. Become, we're becoming too mainstream here let's, let's break <laughs> right? out a little bit between like the genderqueer identity and like polyamorous over 15 years and and prior to like this recent part of my life i was um solo poly and like really leaning into ra and i still kind of am relationship anarchy and my values so like People from like satellite view of my life going, hetero, mono, normative life. What the heck? Um, <laughs> it's very weird. But on the inside, still very queer everything. So looking forward to having more folks in my world again yeah. when life slows down a little bit. But yeah, prior to this life, I was solo poly and had two or three relationships going on at, at a given time. And then for a stint there, I was totally solo, totally single, not even interested in relationships, but still a relationship therapist and still running polyamory support groups because I am who I am. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. And so my life experience in polyamory has run the gamut from nearly nesting to actually nesting to, to totally solo and all of the things in between. I first learned about polyamory on live journal of all places Whoa. way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had been a, a serial monogamist with codependent tendencies and I didn't like any of the choices I was making. And so I decided that uh, I was going to take a year off from dating, which I hadn't done since like 16. This was at 23, 24, something like that. And um, I was like, I'm going to take a year off and then I'll try dating after I've like worked on myself a little. And it only took about eight months before I found somebody and got into some of the same toxic patterns. And it took me about four or five relationships to really get that pattern out of my system. <laughs> Made all right. the classic poly noob mistakes when there was that we had hardly any books, any resources. I think about sure. the only podcast that existed at the time was maybe poly weekly, polyamory weekly. Yeah. yeah. So I learned a lot of things the hard way through experience. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question on that. Like you, you talked about codependencies in your serial monogamy life. Like, could you talk about like what, what those codependencies look like? So for anybody listening, it's like, what is, I don't know what they mean by that. Like what, like what did those codependencies look like? And then when you took that eight month break, when you came back and you said those started to crop up again in your poly relationships, how did they look then? Or did they look the same? Did they look different? How did you recognize them? So for me, a lot of it was my identity was wrapped up in who I was partnered to. Right. So if, uh, a relationship wasn't going well or it just full on broke up. I couldn't stand the idea of being single. I didn't have an independent identity. And so I immediately latched on to whoever showed up next. I had no standards whatsoever for myself. And so I just latched on to and um, committed to and wrapped my life and my identity around whoever I ended up 
finding, sometimes literally the next day. And in Polly, it became more of I sacrificed of myself to be in relationship with that person. So whatever they wanted, whatever they needed out of me, I would try and be, not just give. I would try and embody that within myself. And I never, well, in the, the first like three, four relationships, I... And those were in your poly relationship as, as well. Right, yeah. right. I held on to that poly because I was like, I want to do this. But a lot of the other aspects of who I am, how I naturally think and do, I tried to really shut down in order to be whatever they wanted me to be or needed me to be, um, just in order to keep a relationship of any kind. Um, yeah. Which which I have to imagine, if you're in multiple relationships with multiple different people, you have to show up, over here, I'm a ballerina. Over here, I'm a breakdancer. I'm just making up things, right? But like, you have right. to be somebody different every time you show up to somebody else's like presence. And yeah. like, what happens then when two or three of your partners are in the same space? Like, how do you, now you have to be three people at once. Like, mm-hmm. ah, man. And it yeah. also showed up in my expectations of my partners. I expected them to do the same thing for me. Right. Ah. I expect them to be everything that I want. And my, my Neither. method of trying to find safety in relationship, even to this day, is a tendency to control. Like, I, I will control you in order for you to be what I need you to be and not your authentic self. Um, right. And, yeah, it, it went awry. <sighs> Real ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is crazy because I have to imagine on the like your conscious self, you don't want to control people. You want people to be who they are. But when you... Sometimes. When you dig in. <laughs> so DS, DS makes that a little a little different. <laughs> sometimes maybe I will negotiate we, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well maybe that's a maybe that's something we dig into in a bit. But I I appreciate <laughs> the, the the honesty and vulnerability there of like what those codependencies look like because I think they're so ubiquitous and so many different relationships, even if you don't recognize they're there or right. that, that you're doing it. Because I imagine you even, like you said, you recognized it and you started to shut it down and then you get back into it and it slowly probably starts to like creep back in. And by the time you realize it, you're like, holy shit, like what the hell happened? How did I get here? Yep. How, how did you start to break those cycles? Well, really the, the first step is realizing it's happening. Like yeah. I, I knew that like when I found out about Polly and decided to take that break, all I knew was I wanted multiple people in my life. And I felt insecure about them having multiple people in their lives. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with that yet. And I knew that wasn't fair. That wasn't reasonable. And so I needed to take a break and get work on my uh, uh, security, my insecurities. Right. And so that was at that point, that was the only kind of awareness I had was until I feel better about my self-esteem, I can't be a good partner to somebody else because I'm going to want to keep them to myself. And that's kind of not what Polly's about. So it's not really until 10 years later that I really realized the abandonment of myself and my identity in that dynamic, right? It wasn't until after I had discovered what is authentic me 
that I realized that I had sacrificed that. And that was a big part of uh, kind of choosing solo poly in relationship anarchy was realizing I, I need to be committed to myself and, and have that independent identity separate from my relationships to, to be good to myself. And so I had a few years of that and I thought that was going to be me forever. It's just part of my healing. I realize now, <laughs> now as I'm nesting and, and merging of identities again, but I think in a, a certainly healthier way. So it's all, all phases of growth. Yeah. Well, and for those 10 years, that you were so it's like it sounds like you didn't shut polyamory back down. It was it, what like what did that journey look like for those ten years? Because I imagine as you're untangling all of this and figuring out who you are, who your true who who Anna truly is, what that looks like, like that seems like it could have been messy. Oh, very messy. <laughs> Lots of broken hearts, mine and theirs, and and mistakes made and. You know, a heartache change is hard, and yeah. relationships changed either like within themselves they change, but also like breakups happen. That's change. I changed, and and um, where I was living literally changed. What I was driving changed. My friendships changed. Like all of those those details were painful. Really, yeah. and um, a big hallmark of my therapeutic practice is acceptance and commitment therapy, and it's all about like there is pain in life. Like you, you're not living a meaningful life if you're not experiencing some amount of pain, and really, even if you're locked up in some place, comfy and cozy, the isolation of that is painful. So if we can just learn to accept the emotions as they come and go, both the positive as well as the negative and glean the message contained within that emotion and get through it and, and continue to grow, then we'll be okay. But pain exists. If we try and shut that down, if we try and fight the existence of pain, we get in our own way. Yeah. Was, was there a moment along that journey of, heartache, heartbreak, recover, like bouncing back that you, you kind of hit a point of like, uh, like an aha moment, like something, something needs to be different. I'm, I need to change, like not just the little organic growth that happens, but like a moment of like, okay, I've been doing this for 10 years and this hurts like hell. Like I need to change something up and do something different. And, and if so, like what, what was that? That sort catalyst. of that moment, yeah, that aha moment. Mm-hmm. So my uh, probably my longest poly relationship had about four years, and I had been his savior in a lot of ways. I became a parent and martyr and savior emotionally and financially, and. Um, when that relationship came to a head and I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to, I have to reserve my resources for me first and yeah. foremost. Right. And it was the, the, the spike of my independence, my soloness. It went from I'm solo poly with this one partner to I am totally single for two years and I refuse to have relationships because I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm sick of saving people. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm not going to let anybody close enough to me to need me, right? Um, so you almost put up walls. Oh, yeah. Oh, was yeah. that because just like you didn't trust yourself not to fall back into that pattern? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it took me about two years of living solo, both like in my residence, literally, but also just in my life to really heal that. I mean, I didn't do a lot of active growth and learning in any capacity in that. It was a very quiet um, in my in my therapy at that time, my therapist and I talked about how it was a comfy valley where I was just kind of nourishing myself in a, a calm, quiet kind of way to prepare for the next phase of my life, which is like unearthing a lot of the, the trauma and, and deciding on how I want to do things differently. It took some time. Yeah. Well, but that two-year, two-and-a-half-year break, that flies in the face of the codependency of if I break up with somebody, I have to get somebody the next day because who, who am I without a partner? So it sounds like by that point, maybe you had, had broken that, that Mm -hmm. piece of the puzzle. Yep. For sure. Yeah. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that, that journey. Um, I had one, one quick question. You've mentioned relationship anarchy a few times. We're no strangers to it, but I know everybody sort of takes a different tact on what relationship anarchy is, even though I know there is a manifesto out there and theoretically (laughs) that everybody should be doing it the same way. We know that's not reality. So I was curious, like what that looks like for you and maybe how that's evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. So for me, like when people ask, what does that mean for me? I explain that all of my relationships could potentially look very different. Like in what ways I connect with somebody and in what ways I commit to somebody can be very different. Some of my, you know, most meaningful relationships are not sexual relationships. And some of my, what would seem to be a really meaningful relationship are kind of fly by the night. You come and go. There's, there's no, I don't apply a script to any of my relationships. Like even to the point of like conversations on, on a dating app, somebody says, so what are you looking for? And I'm like, whatever's naturally organic between the two of us, like what you've got (laughs) available, what you need, what I've got available, what I need, whatever seems to fit well with our personalities. Um, It's going to be a conversation and take time to figure that out. Right. Right. And I, I genuinely, I mean, of course, sometimes I have a particular desire in a given moment, but most of the time I'm genuinely open to whatever organically occurs. It goes back to the, the acceptance mm-hmm. part of my like life philosophy of like the world's going to throw at me, whatever it's going to throw at me. And if I can, can be flexible with that and stay present and really savor whatever comes my way, then I end up you know, a lot more satisfied in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And how is that, how has that changed for you recently? Cause you said it, it, it has changed somewhat. Um, a little bit just in that it's, it's the relationship anarchy hasn't necessarily, but, um, coming out of that two year break, I realized that I did want more, um, more integrated life with partners. I didn't, necessarily want to 
be so staunchly independent because I felt like I was missing out on intimacy, right? And a partner really knowing me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And I saw that in other people's relationships and I was like, that's something I've been missing out on and I think I would really like to have. And so I did specifically like go out and seek those kinds of details in a relationship, which is kind of different than my usual philosophy. Um, And now, four years after that, (laughs) (laughs) um, I find myself like with my nesting relationship, we are basically all the things to each other. That doesn't mean there's not room for other folks in my world, but if you pull up the, the, the relationship anarchy smorgasbord, we, we cover majority of them, which is unusual compared to my last, you know, 15 years. Um, yeah. So that's probably the only way that's really changed is it looks on the surface <laughs> yeah. to be not RA, but in my heart and soul, like that's it's the, the, the values yeah. I live my life by. Somebody right. could come along and be equally as important to me, but not have some of the same features. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Your house is only so big. Right. right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, th- I was curious too, when, when you and your, your now nesting partner made the, the decision to move in together, they had, had you talked about, or have you talked about like, okay, well, we both sort of identify as this relationship anarchist model, but now we're going to be living together. Like, I can almost see like you moved in last week. Um, and so you're sort of in like the honeymoon phase of like, Hey, we live together. This is super exciting. Although you did say there's a lot of fighting in honeymoon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, your toilets backed up and day two and whatever. Right. So like, I know there's like a mix of honeymoon and also like reality. Now we're living together. Like, yeah, I, there's totally different for sure. Yeah. What, what did that shift look like? And like, have the like what have the negotiations looked like for both of you in terms of like well we we're together but we also both feel like we're relationship anarchists in our souls how do we well that's, how do we integrate these two things that's an important detail is he doesn't consider himself relationship anarchist like okay he is kind of poly he's got poly experience certainly but because of his some of his kinks doesn't actually really care about Polly that much. Um, he could take it or leave it. Got it. So at this point in our relationships, he's basically decided to be monogamous to me because <laughs> kinks um, and and DS and that sort of thing. So that makes it easy, easier, right? Um, and prior to even meeting him. I had another relationship where we were kind of part-time cohabitating and it was, it was new and overall positive for me until the breakup. Um, and then I realized like, I really do want to share space and cohabitate with somebody and, and collaborate in the, the day-to-day life of my life. I want to share those moments with somebody. And so I went out looking for somebody who may be compatible in that way. Um, because I realized that I was open to that and desiring that. Um, and I found him and between the kinks matching up and then the the negotiation of the day to day, okay, you do things like this. I do things like this. That has been where a lot of conflict has, has shown up, but 
the the key defining feature of this relationship versus all the others in the past is when the going gets tough, he shows up. Whereas a lot of my other partners, things would get tough and conflict would happen and they would run away. Either literally or uh, basically in their nervous system, they'd shut down or they'd fawn or something like that. And instead, you know, my partner, he sticks it through to the end of the conversation. So we actually get some resolution. Um, And so the, the negotiations of the, the details of moving in together have definitely been uh, stressful, difficult. Um, but we knew basically from first date that the intention, at least for me, was to find somebody who is compatible in that, that nesting and DS dynamic. Um, and he just happened to fit the bill. Yeah. Um, in your conversations with your nesting partner, I'm assuming it's very open the fact that you would like to have other relationships and, and right now he's not interested in that. So how do you how do you navigate those conversations? Uh, it's pretty easy. We're, we got lucky. We land on the same page. He uh, part of his kink, part of his desire in life is for me to have other relationships. Uh, got it. So yeah. Because that can be a sticking point yeah. for a lot of people sometimes, where one of you, one person wants open relationship or other partners, another person doesn't, right. and so yeah. yeah, Emma stole my question right out of my mouth. But yeah, it was it was exactly <laughs> that. Like you, because you made the comment like, oh well, it really it's super easy because he doesn't want other partners and I do, and I'm like super easy. We have we probably get the monopoly question emailed to us <laughs> all the time, three times right. a week. Like, <laughs> I want to do this and my partner doesn't. And you're like, Oh, it's super easy. And those people are listening to you being like the fuck it is. It ain't that easy. So, but it sounds like right, for that, you, that piece is not, but yeah. uh, the, the particular kink that yep. he has makes it easy. Right. Yeah. And not everybody has that cake. <laughs> nope, nope, they definitely do not. So I, I can, I can definitely understand why that makes it a whole lot easier oh, yeah. uh, to navigate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you've mentioned uh, the, your DS dynamic a few times, and I wanted to see if you could be willing to expand on that a little bit, sure. what, that, what that means for the two of you. Um, so we haven't reached the, the formality of like a 24-7 caller situation, but generally, at least in my, my closest relationships, I prefer that there's a bit of authority exchange. So most people, when they're talking about DS, they think about power exchange. And I prefer to think that they retain all of their power. <laughs> like, as, a, as the more submissive partner, I want them to retain their power. Um, but I want them to make the choice to exchange authority with me. So when uh, a decision has to be made, I end up getting final say in certain areas. Um, there are some areas that I have no interest in having authority. Um, and for a long time, I resisted nesting with somebody because I didn't think somebody was going to be comfortable with me deciding where the forks go and which curtains are going on the windows. And uh, I've been controlling my whole life. My first sentence, as my mother tells me, was me do it. Me do it. <laughs> when I was like a year and a half old. So... I have wanted things my way or the highway all of my life. 
and and genuinely i think that's about the only way i can make a nesting relationship work is if i mean there's some discussion it's like okay what do you think about the forks in this drawer as opposed to that drawer but a lot of the time it's like no nah, they're going in that drawer fight me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and it sounds like the, the trick there is find a partner who who is on board with that and who yeah. enjoys that. Because I think, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who live life like that, that it's not part of a DS dynamic. Mm-hmm. They're just controlling and do shit their way and tell people how it's going to be. Yep. And I think, I'm just curious, like, how do you balance the, like, making sure this person has their autonomy and feels empowered yet you get that authority exchange without letting it run away, like with the controlling piece. Like, I feel like that's a really like almost like walking a razor's edge as you navigate like kinks plus your personality, plus their personality and their kinks and domestic, uh, you know, obligations. It's just, it's a lot all wrapped up into one little powerful orb. I made that last part up. (laughs) Um, A big part of it honestly has been, his confidence was standing up for himself. If, if he has felt that I'm not hearing his perspective, his opinion, his um, viewpoint on a topic, he's not afraid to call me out on it. And a lot of my previous partners that I tried to do DS with, not even nesting, just trying to do DS, they would get so wrapped up in, I'm supposed to be submissive. I'm not supposed to have an opinion that they would never call me out when I got over controlling beyond what we had negotiated. So a lot of it really is to the credit of my partner by being like, no, no, you got to listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dang it. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, which is ultimately a healthier dynamic because then they, I mean, they have a voice too, but yet you could, I don't know. It's maybe testament to show that you can have a DS relationship, but the other person doesn't give up all agency. It's that's not what it is. Right. And do you, do you think that has allowed you like compare and contrast this dynamic with previous ones who didn't do that? Has this, has that ability for them to stand up for themselves? Has that allowed you to go maybe deeper or to places you would not normally go because you have a level of trust and confidence that, that they're going to actually stick to a limit and you're not going to go too far. Absolutely. Absolutely. I trust that, um, they will take care of their needs and they will voice their needs with me because, and, and if they can't, then that means I lean into rescuer and mind reader or attempting to be right. And that doesn't work for any relationship. My philosophy on DS comes uh, in big part from uh, some classes itself, Southeast Leatherfest a couple years back, where um, there's kind of a model of uh, submissives' needs are first priority, and then dominance needs, and then dominance wants, and then submissive partners' wants are like kind of last on the list. And that's always my go-to. And so... I'm almost always trying to keep in mind what are their needs and, and what needs are not met. But if they're not speaking it to me, if they're not sharing that with me, if they're trying to hide it in order to prioritize mine, then the relationship really struggles to be successful. They don't end up with a voice and I can end up um, being really harmful in my choices, trying to, to meet their needs when I'm trying to guess what they are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you do any type of structured, like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like multi-emory's like radar discussion, like radar points, or do you do anything structured like that where it's like, hey, once a month, we're going to sit down just to make sure we're on the same page. And maybe it only takes five minutes because we're on the same page, but like, I, we need that time. I wish I could say that I did, considering I, I teach that and I recommend it to clients all day, every day, because radar, like, <laughs> it's good stuff. No. Have I yeah. actually implemented it? No. <laughs> no. Hey, we, 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 we are practitioners of the do as we say, not as we do school as well. We, we understand. We're not perfect just because yeah. we do this. Uh, right, I, yeah. I, I appreciate the honesty. We're human, too. Uh, <laughs> If somebody is looking to get into more of a DS relationship, do you have, you mentioned where you thought, you know, went to some classes. Do you have recommendations of where they should start or could start learning more? It's tough because a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the community that I've encountered, DS is not really done in a very healthy way. It's a lot of dysfunctional control. Which is why I kind of tried to avoid it. I, I feel this sense within myself of like, I really, I really like this, but I don't like what happens when it goes beyond just a scene, a negotiated scene. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't like the relationship dynamics that showed up, so I tried to avoid it. But then, like, so many of my friends that were in the leather community specifically were like, but you live this way all the time. What are you doing? And so, um, I've really, I've struggled to find good resources in my um, learning and growing in that capacity. Um, Even at Southeast Leather Fest, I went with the, the mindset of I'm going to pick and choose what works for me. I already had some experience and understanding of like what I didn't like about that experience those relationship styles and i went in with okay i'm gonna pick and choose what i think might work and leave the rest so somebody with zero experience and and wanting to learn how it works it's really easy to fall into um some some hurtful relationship dynamics with that because there's there's power imbalances just naturally in relationships all the time right and it they yeah. can really be tripping blocks to healthy connection yeah and healthy communication um and so when you're i i personally in my experience i find being more cognizant and and specifically negotiating this power imbalance means we're more aware of it and so um we're, we're forced to communicate about it and through it as opposed to it just kind of naturally happening and we're not aware of it. We're not conscientious of it. So we're not communicating about it in my brain. I've always been a active learner. I much prefer to be in a class listening to somebody's perspective or experience or, you know, scientific research in the case of graduate school. (laughs) And I have always struggled as an adult with reading books and learning from books. So podcasts and classes, hands-on classes where I can ask questions and I can hear my fellow classmates ask questions and and give their perspective. And then really just um, my own therapy process has been a big one too. Learning about more about 
attachment. Go into like super vanilla norms of learning about attachment theory and um, internal family systems and emotional regulation and stress response. That has been probably the most helpful thing in the last four or five years as far as my yeah. own growth within myself and relationally is, is yeah. becoming yeah. aware of my, my nervous system responses. So, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting, right? That like that's been in the last four or five years, but you've been somewhat successfully navigating polyamory for a decade previous to that. And I think it just, you know, maybe my point there is for people listening who are like, man, like I haven't read all the books. I haven't gone to all the classes. I'm just, fumble fucking around in the dark all the time like you know that's part of it too and like is it super easy no but will you ultimately like you're gonna learn like inevitably you're going to learn it's just it is a definitely a more challenging way and i will say also we've done this podcast for four years now and for the first three we had never at up until about a year ago we had not been in polyamorous relationships we talk about them multiple times a week. We've read a lot of the resources. We listen to a lot of the resources. We were not prepared for polyamory, even after all of the shit that we've done. And we had been in an open relationship for over a decade before that. And we got into polyamory shifting from like a friends with benefits, more of like a casual swinging dynamic. And it slapped us upside the damn head. And like, so you can read every book on the planet but like when the rubber meets the road, it's a totally, mm-hmm. it's a totally different ball game. And so yeah, I appreciate sort of your perspective on it as well. well and, and I think there's a piece there too, is it, it reminding people that it, getting information from a lot of different places is the way to go, not be, be, and, and making your own decision for what works for you, but it's easy, you know, Anybody can put information out there. I mean, look, at we're out here, you know, we're putting a podcast out and um, it, it's, I just always recommend to keep your options open and get resources from a lot of different places so that. Spoken like a true non-monogamous person. Exactly. Keep yeah. them options open. Don't <laughs> right. box yourself in. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Eggs in lots of baskets. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you talked about, uh, early on, like you've talked that like you thought you were gonna do it this way and then we're going to do it this way. And now you're nesting with a partner and just a couple of years ago, you're like, I'm ultra independent. I don't need that shit. And now you are, right. I'm just curious, like, and knowing that this could change tomorrow, like if you were to like think out, like what is, what is Anna's like utopia for, like you get to you get to build your polycule and living situation and everything. Like, what does that utopia look like today? Gosh, I don't even know. A couple of years ago, I had the uh, like kinky poly nudist queer commune of I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a big house and then build a tiny house for myself to move into and then rent the the bedrooms in the house out to my partners and my dearest friends and yada yada and then I realized that I am not nesting compatible with majority of the people that I love dearly <laughs> and I was like oh I don't want these people in my house <laughs> 
they're too messy, frankly. Um, and then like a couple of them were like, no, we're moving to Portland. I'm like, oh, oh, well, I guess you're not living in my commune then. Um, <laughs> so that could be a utopia for me someday, you know, yeah. if the, if the right people show up that we have that kind of compatibility. My backyard is kind of sloped, so it's not great for tiny homes at the moment, but um, I genuinely don't know. I don't know what utopia yeah. looks like. I guess my philosophy in life is so, like, go with the moment, be in the present moment, that I'm open to what the heck ever. I mean, I, I signed a, a 30-year mortgage, so I'm here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but, this is the current stage. <laughs> right. Um between licensing and owning a business and having sup- having supervisees that are going to take at least three years to get their license and to, to grow up and get into their professional lives. And I've lived in Georgia since I was six. I don't know anything else. And it's, it's comfortable. I really like the, the suburbs of Georgia, both like nature and... Um, and weather and all of that. It's really comfortable for me yeah. most of the time. June, July, August. Mm, mm, mm. Not so much. <laughs> not, not as much. Um, you can only get so naked, and it is not naked <laughs> enough for summer in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. But um, all in all, all things considered, I really love the state here, and so it just made sense. Like I don't, no matter where my relationships go, the internet makes connection Mm -hmm. possible and so it just made sense for me to buy a house um and i bought the house entirely based on my finances so if nesting relationship worst case scenario doesn't work out i'll be all right but for now we're we're building our own little hearth here and starting our own little nested family it's pretty cool yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah, it's super. amazing. Um, and speaking of that, like it seems like you're pretty out and open in your community. Are are you in as far as your relationship structure? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I I I lean more into generally being out rather than specifically being out. I don't hide them by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But just because of my leadership in the community, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to not process my stuff in the community. So with some of my like closer trusted friends and fellow leaders, I'll kind of mm-hmm. talk about the more personal stuff. But for years, it's been a, a marketing boon for me to be out, right? Like a big part of my success as a counselor has genuinely been because I was involved in the community as a leader and people got to know me in graduate school. They knew I was working towards this career as a therapist. So then soon as I had a position somewhere and I was like, Hey, guess what y'all I made it. I'm a therapist. Now it was super easy word of mouth marketing. I already had a community full of folks who knew me and my experience, my expertise in that area. Even though I was a new therapist, I had like, seven, eight years of experience in polyamory. And so it was easy marketing. Um, and so being open and, and out to as many people as possible through the whole journey has just been 
helpful rather than harmful. But that's the, yeah. the entrepreneur spirit. I'm like, nah, you ain't gonna yeah. tell me what to do. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what you're gonna fire me from my own job? I don't think right? so. Screw you all, find so. another one. Bye. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and maybe that's a good place to sort of lean into like talking a little bit about like your professional work that you do and about the community that you're sort of directing right now and building because for us, community is huge. And we, I would just love to talk community with you for a minute um, sure. for everybody listening because, well, we'll get there. But well, I can't I can't tell you how valuable I think community is. But Emma's going to interrupt me. Yeah, well, I want, I'm excited to talk about the community piece. But I, I'm interested, you know, you started back uh, polyamory in polyamory quite a while ago. And how did your journey to becoming a therapist kind of go along with that? Because... Uh, I feel like they may be intertwined a little bit. They definitely are. Absolutely. I knew I was fascinated with psychology, like every other therapist in the world was trying to solve my own shit in high school. (laughs) And uh, growing up, I had a fascination in all things sex. So my, my mom particularly, but my parents were fairly sex positive growing up. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized like how sex negative and oppressive our culture was. And I was like, that's gross. I'm going to fix that. And then I realized sex research doesn't really get paid very much, particularly in the late 90s. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just go into mood disorder research. I thought for sure I wanted to do research instead of therapy. And then I got into my undergrad psych uh, a bachelor's in psych and research suddenly became very boring. I was like, Oh, that's entirely too much math. No, thank you. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't like, do I really want to push the envelope and work on sex or do I want to just like be like everybody else and work with mood disorders? Uh, Cause once upon a time I thought I had bipolar. Wow. Um, <laughs> abnormal psych <for> everybody <laughs> just for a short time. And then, uh, by the end of my undergrad, which I took about eight years, so that was 2008, the, the, the world fell apart, and I fell into a depression. I had no idea what direction I was going to go. Um, I was already involved with the poly community to some extent. I had started to figure that out about myself, um, but I was still kind of hung up on that sex positivity. I wanted to focus on that and, and STI education. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do agency work or private practice, but to get out of a depression, I was like, let's just get into graduate school. I'll figure it out later. (laughs) And so I did. And I ended up in a community counseling program and through that and um, more involvement with the poly and and kink communities, I realized, no, I really want to specialize in working with that population And towards the end of my graduate work, I met a partner who was trans male. And that kind of spurred my interest in working with gender as well. So coming out of graduate school, I found a position with somebody in private practice who was directing and supervising and and basically gave me the job of a lifetime. I won the lottery when it comes to that. And he just... He, he cultivated, do what you love, do what you know. And by that point, it was obvious kink, poly, and gender was, was my jam. That was your experience, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I could have gone into more sex therapy, but 
over the years, I've realized that like sex therapists are a dime a dozen. There's not as many who um, focus on the relationship piece. Like sex is part of a relationship, but I really love improving all of the relationship rather than just the, the physical intimacy pieces. And so um, I went in that direction as opposed to teach the world how to have sex. I decided I wanted to teach the world how to have good relationships <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll leave, we'll leave teaching of sex to porn, right? That's where everybody should get their sex education. <laughs> I got some opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have time for that. We'll just assume I'm right. No, I'm super wrong. I'm just fucking around. But thank you for that and hearing that journey. And so what is, what does your practice look like today? And like, what, what is that structure and how did that maybe parlay into Atlanta Poly and, and all of the other work that you're doing? That's a big question. So, um, my, my practice basically is, entirely clients have some interest in non-monogamy kink or gender um or at least some history of that i seem to be like discovering an additional specialty with neurodiversity you can't hardly work with like socially diverse folk and not end up working with neurodiverse folk i i got some theories about how that intersects right yeah yeah um, and so I've got about 18 clients a week and it's probably like 50 to 60% kink poly folks and then the rest trans. But then of course there's some overlap because sure, trans sure. folk are kinky and poly too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I only work with 13 and up. So it's adolescents into adults bulk of my ongoing clients are individuals. I don't tend to get a lot of relationship work that's long-term. That seems to be mm-hmm. more of a short-term process. Either they learn a whole bunch of stuff and take it with them and, and go on with the rest of their lives, or they break up and one lands with me as an individual for a while um, and sticks through. So um, I was doing the polyamory support group and a transgender youth group before the pandemic. The The pandemic ended up kind of basically killing the trans youth group. I was not comfortable running a, a group of 20 teenagers on Zoom by myself. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, I could trust the poly adults to handle themselves appropriately on Zoom. So we kept that going. We organized the, the support group now through the Atlanta Polyamory group. But Love Positive Counseling is a a formal sponsor of that. So this is where we get to the intersection of Atlanta Polyamory as an organization, as a community, has existed for 12 years now. Some old friends of mine founded it, and I got involved really early on as an event host, but I wasn't formerly part of leadership and then they kind of burn out and and decided to go their own way and the organization kind of flailed through two or three different versions of leadership that frankly neglected it and um me and a couple of friends of mine kind of kept it going like we weren't formally leaders but we wanted to make sure that this resource still existed if only for ourselves and so we kept showing up at events and took over being leaders. We were the face of it without any 
formal acting leadership um, and finally got that leadership to like hand over the official reins. And that coincided with starting my business as a counselor. So we rejuvenated the organization, made it formal again, 501c3, the whole nine yards. And in that process, they all decided like, you get to be president. And I was like, Okay, I do that. Um, and they've just like been sister businesses basically from the beginning. My counseling reinforces that uh, business as much as I can, as far as like group space and, and mm-hmm. educators come in and do classes and, and bring in fellow therapists to come in and do classes and, and then vice versa through support groups and, and classes. We get marketing for Love Positive Counseling. Um, And and part of my work before um, and a little bit during being a therapist was doing online marketing for other therapists in alternative relationships. And so I had all of the skills in online marketing and SEO and all of that. And so I just handled that for both businesses. Two bars, one stone. It was super easy. And so now... The, the poly support group supports interns that are my employees and my supervisees. They get hours and experience facilitating the support group and marketing with the community. And so they get to work with clients as well. I'm full up. I don't have any room. They do. So now they're getting the benefit of that, that marketing and that um, collaborative process. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. And it's quite the, I think, quite the system in like helping people at so many different levels, right? That, you know, some people may not be able to afford counseling, but if they can be part of a support group or part of Atlanta Polyamory, like, I think what I was saying earlier about like wanting to talk about the power of community, we've actually just last night had a men's group call and we were talking about that. And and some of the people in there were actually saying like, you know, they're in therapy as well. But, like, they get more out of our men's group, like, community calls and peer support than they get out of their counseling sessions. And so just, I think, recognizing how impactful, like, just being able to talk to other people who are going through what you're going through or at least maybe they've gone through it and you're, like, thinking you're insane because this weird, crazy thing happened and they're like, no, no not that weird and crazy. Like we did it too. And three other people are like, yep, we did it too. And you're like, Oh good. I'm not, I'm not alone in my craziness here. Yep. So yep. yeah. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. been a, a, um, like collaborative, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would get clients from the poly support group, but also I would send my clients to the support group because I knew of regulars in the community who had been through whatever they were experiencing. I couldn't give them that as mm-hmm. their as their therapist, right? They would have to viscerally feel that knowing and validation in their soul that I yeah. couldn't by who I was. I couldn't give them that experience, but people the the community absolutely could. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Well, we 
absolutely love what what you've built and what you're continuing to build build and we're excited to share the word and spread the love and um and just to be clear links to to find you will be in the show notes so people can find your your work and everything you're doing at any time i have one additional question so you've mentioned that you are a licensed therapist do you work are you required to work under your license and only see people who are physically in georgia or are you able to see clients anywhere in the world I am licensed only in Georgia, so clients have to have their butts in the state of Georgia when okay. we're conducting a session. Um, Got it. There's a little bit of wiggle room for vacations and that sort of thing, but we're not going to tell the licensing board that. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. But yeah. generally, no, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Got it. That makes sense because I, I know a lot of times people will – have the license, but they will basically say, well, I'm a coach now. I'm not necessarily working under that so they can branch out. I just didn't, I wanted to make sure anybody listening who's like, damn it, I need some Anna in my life. And they're like, well, I don't live in Georgia. So just so people (laughs) can be aware of that, or maybe they can drive over to Georgia. But they can also join the Atlanta polyamory. That's true. And and still, still have some of you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Tiny tiny bit. They'll get more of Jace, the intern. And and, uh, yeah. And there other community members. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Right. I've had clients who actually made the trip from Alabama to my office in Roswell um, just to, to because I was the right fit for their therapeutic needs. And they were like, yep, two and a half hour trip for good therapy. So be it. Wow. Right? You might as well. If yeah. You, if, it's, if it's working. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything you've shared with us today for all the work you're doing. Is there anything that we didn't ask you about or talk about that has to get out there? Um, if not, we can always get it on the next round. Not that we have to do another one, but you know, we could right. definitely do another one. I don't think so. I don't think there's anything like burning in my mind or heart that I need Perfect. to share. Um, yeah. Well, that means we did a good job. High we five. all, all High did. Five. We all did. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. thank you again for spending the time with us. We appreciate it very much. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. <laughs> what? And we're back. A huge thank you. Finn is laughing at with me. Finn with is you. laughing with me. If you're laughing, we're laughing together. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, thank you, Anna, for coming on the show and for sharing your story and for all of the amazing work you do with Atlanta Polyamory and Love Positive Counseling. We're incredibly grateful for all of that, and we loved talking to you. So thank you. Yes, thank you, Anna, for coming on and for all of your work. A quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can find information on our Patreon community there, on the upcoming virtual events. We have virtual trivia and a virtual meet and greet coming up, as well as our in-person event coming up in New Orleans, not till September. But all of the information is there. Check it out. Um, Plus, you can reach out to us on our website. And if you have any questions, feedback, comments, we'd love to... I guess feedback and comments may be the same thing, but we'd love to hear from you. So it's all right there. And that's all I got right now. That's all you got. I have one more thing. Go for it. We said in the intro that one of the best ways to support the show was to tell other people. Perhaps you're telling those other people as you're about to like hook up, you're going to get it on (laughs) or you're Uh thinking you might. Uh If you're going to do that, we highly recommend that you know your STI status. And the best way that we know to do that is to use stdcheck.com to get tested for STIs and know your status and then communicate that to your partners. 
It's super fast, it's super easy, and with the links on our website that save you $10, it is how much, Emma? $130. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. she didn't know the pop quiz was coming. I was totally zoned out. <laughs> All right, so with the links on our website, it is $130. So you save $10 and you help support the show financially and you get to be an awesome uh, sexual health ambassador. Uh, we need to get badges made. Badges for SCHEC.com? For sexual health ambassadors. Sure. All right, we're putting that on the to-do list. <laughs> And uh, so, again, links are in the show notes or on our website under the resources tab. It is really in a wonderful service. And it is we how we get tested. Yeah. yeah. And we really appreciate anyone who uses those links because it does support us. So thank you. Yes. And Emma will be ready for next week's pop quiz. <laughs> we hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Next week, we've got another episode. We do with Pam and Jim. And it's incredible. It is. And as we were saying earlier, you don't have to be anyone special. <laughs> well, I'm getting myself into trouble again. <laughs> Why do I do this? Stop using the word special. <laughs> you don't have to be a content creator. And Pam and Jim are absolutely amazing. They are members of our Patreon community and offered to come on and share their story. And it is fantastic. So definitely don't miss next week. We will see you all then. Uh, every single one of you are special to us. Stop it. You got your point across. You're good. Okay. I'm done. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.